to breakfast What's before lunch? It's Austin, Texas It's weird brunch You gonna be a good girl? You gonna be a good girl? Are you gonna be a good girl? Are you gonna be a good girl? No. Are you gonna be a good girl? I won't. The answer is no every time. Right. Prove me right. I mean, it's not her fault that you're raising her as a feminist dog. Like, she doesn't, you know, have to adhere to your rules. I'm just yeah. independent woman. Yes, yeah, she's an. In- no. Ooh, listen to Go that. Outside. Go outside and be dependent on a man. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Go cook dinner. Go be meek and right? subservient. Oh my God, yesterday. The neighbor's dogs got out from their fence and we usually just take her out in the back of our house off the leash. Cause there's nobody out there. It's just woods. And, uh, we open the door. She comes around. I'm upstairs. Actually, Trish is doing this. She opens the door. The two dogs see her and they've watched <gasps> her walk by their fence for a week and a half now. And they want to eat this dog, right? This mm-hmm. is fresh meat. So they come tearing at her, just like, Rah! turns right at her. Not going to really hurt her, but, you know, being dogs, like, ah, you know, she started yelping, like, oh, my God. <laughs> she, that's not real. She just did that. That's from a movie. That's not real. Yeah, that was impressive. She, the, the little puppy pulled the the cover the off cloth. the tablecloth off she tried to pull the entire table she tried to do the magic trick with the tablecloth except the yep. magic is getting all the plates to fall on her mouth mm. well, I, she's outside I, now if you had asked me yesterday <laughs> if i would ever see that happen in the real world i would have said Fuck no right that's like a cartoon like a disney yeah. movie thing to happen wow, i have a magical a life right now dog. karina <laughs> yeah classic anyway so these dogs come barking at her she starts yelping like all four of her legs got broken i can i've never heard a dog sound so injured before it wasn't just like it was like like oh god bleeding out all over the floor she came running up the stairs to me and her stupid paws can't work on the stairs yet so she's just collapsing and flopping up the stairs i'm like oh my god she's been shot and trish is like no, she just got. She just saw other dogs for the first time. That's all. That's all that happened. Oh my and she's god! Still fucking traumatized. Like every time she's standing in the backyard, because they came into the backyard, she just looks right. like they're gonna get me. Poor anyway, little baby. Yeah, her her life is just a series of goofball cartoon moments, like the one you just saw. <laughs> That's insane. I she, I she figured out how to get on the couch, but she hasn't figured out how to get off the couch. So she gets on the couch and she takes a nice <laughs> nap, and then she rolls over in her nap and boom on the floor. <laughs> she up like, why did the couch hurt me? It's Baby really cute. dog. Couches can turn on you, man. They can mm-hmm. get your ass. That's true. That's true. Oh man. How how are y'all feeling? We had another <laughs> banner week in Texas where mm-hmm. the governor decided that everyone's fine now. We don't have to wear masks and businesses can open to 100%. And it's insane. Mm-hmm. 
I'll I love will, it. <clears throat> so I was already like anxious <clears throat> because we're I'm doing the first live show I've done. Oh yeah. And we've got like all of our precautions together and blah, blah, blah. And then he made that yeah. announcement and I was like, thank God it's next week. So I don't have to fight a bunch of dumb dicks. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like I don't, I probably, I don't know if I'm going to do another one for a while. Like, yeah, exactly. I'm squeezing it in, but then like, I don't know. I feel so many fucking things this week. So many things. <laughs> None, None of them. Good. I was about to say the same fucking thing. Oh, man. Yeah. Good good times, right? No, no. Decidedly not. Mm. Karina, how are you feeling? I feel like we're all on the same page as far as fuck yes. Abbott, but. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I If there was a way to uh, move my timetable up to move to Chicago tomorrow, I would. I am so terrified of living in the state anymore. Like, mm-hmm. They got it. I'm trying. I'm like, what's going to happen next? Are they going to come to our house and spit in our faces? Are mm-hmm. they going to take our house for some reason? Because Imminent. don't blame us. The right. illegal immigrants made us take your house. Like I don't understand any of their logic anymore. It's so sad and scary. And well, there is no logic. That's why it's you can't understand it. Mm-hmm. I know. It's so dumb. Really fucking our state up, man. Yeah. And we are the coolest shaped state. And I have a lot of Texas shaped things. And I, what's your favorite shaped state? Michigan's kind of cool. Michigan's pretty cool. Yeah. Mm. I think the classic state shape is Virginia or Kentucky. Big on the east and then just sort of peter out in the west. I think that's a good state shape. Hmm. Yeah. I disagree, but you know, <laughs> it's classic. Maryland does it. All right. Geography. North Carolina know. does it. It's classic. That's why I'm saying like, like Texas is unique. Like I kind of like that South Carolina is just like a like a dehydrated poop. <laughs> yeah, South Carolina is definitely the what's left of the colonies. Like, eh, and then whatever's there. We didn't even bother naming it because North Carolina was originally just named Carolina. (laughs) Then Mm. they just said, uh, and another Carolina for prisoners. South Carolina and Georgia, fun fact, founded by prisoners just like Australia. Nobody ever talks about that. Mm. Mm -hmm. What a fun fact for Weird Brunch. Uh, I saw, speaking of the term fun facts, I saw some tweet that was like, fun fact, Janis Joplin's ashes were scattered in the Pacific Ocean. And I was like, is that a fun fact? It's just kind of, well, a fact, but if anything, kind of like a morbid, sad (laughs) fact. Morbid can be fun. Just ask Tim Burton. It can, but like... Scattering ashes, I mean, the one time it was fun was in the Big Lebowski when it blew into but John Goodman, Goodman's face. But anyways. I don't Yay. know why she would do P-A-T that way. Port Arthur, Texas. Oh, I was going to say, uh, I'm surprised it wasn't scattered into the third coast. Mm-hmm. Third coast. Same, same. 
Yeah. Well, did you know that the group? I feel like one of those kids. Did you know? Right. <laughs> that people who live on the Great Lakes call that the third coast. And since nobody from the South or the Midwest talks to each other, nobody's caught on yet. There's two third coasts. Wait yeah. a minute. Hold on. Yeah. On every is- Great Lake? Yeah, all the Great Lakes areas, the third coast to them. Okay. Well, okay. Because I used to spend my summers on Lake Michigan at my... Watch out, rich girl. (laughs) 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 It's a... Lock it up. Uh, But I never heard... Like, my aunt still lives on... I've never heard... That's crazy. Yeah. In fact, there's a brewery called Third Coast... Brewing. And there's one in Corpus. That's the one we've heard of. But there's also one, Third Coast Beer, in Michigan. Hmm. Wouldn't yeah. you know it? But they're not a coast. <laughs> yeah, they're okay. not a fucking Whatever. coast. They're a goddamn yeah, lake. Is. When you stand on the lake, it, you can't see the other side. It feels like a coast. Well, well they got whales? They got <laughs> whales up there? I don't think so. <laughs> they got whales. What? They don't How have many fucking whales. whales. How many whales are in the Gulf of Mexico, Whitney? There are whales in the Gulf of Mexico. No, there are not. Yes, there are. No, what are they, tiny? There's dolphins. I know there's dolphins. Well, that's not a whale. They got got dolphins in Lake Michigan? There. There's my point. Yes, They've had oil spills and shit in Lake Michigan before, though, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it takes to make a real ocean. That's true. Yeah. No whales, no coast. Whitney Quote put printed on my tombstone. Okay. No way. Well, we're gonna no scatter coast. your ashes in the third coast and you'll just in Michigan on Lake juice. Michigan. Yeah. There's already a good chunk of me in Lake Michigan. I threw up into it a lot one time. Um what year? Uh <laughs> twenty were you there? Okay. okay. Uh, no, that's the, all I wanted to know. Twenty is fine. Okay, yeah. It wasn't too too long ago. Um, well, yeah, welcome to Weird Brunch. I'm Whitney Lamond. I'm Lisa Friedrich. It's like someone else fucking say something. Jesus. Jeez, okay. I'm I'm Karina Magyar. God. I'm sorry. I might be tired. Maybe I'm tired. Maybe I need a nap. Oh. I I shouldn't take a nap. And I guess I should do my story so you can sleep. Damn. It's boring. No, it's not boring. It's a good one. I was like, why is it boring? I'm sure it's not. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it if it's boring. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm sure it's you do wonderful. <laughs> Give the puppy the tablecloth again. No, I, she's still outside. She's banished to the out worlds. She's hiding in a corner and then occasionally running to the glass door and asking to come in because she's terrified that these hell dogs are going to somehow breach her perimeter again. You could get her like a Snoopy style dog house and she could sleep on top of it. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Should make a little Snoopy dog house for her. I love it. Another project. (laughs) I mean, fuck it. (laughs) Right. I planted a blackberry bush today as if that's a good idea. I love blackberries. Me too. But what makes me think I can raise blackberries in fucking Austin? I don't know. They grow really well here. Like wild. Yeah. Okay. 
I swear they do. They I remember them like I growing. Do. I swear. I My swear. pa always had a pail of blackberries. <laughs> I swear we on stuck in the blackberry patch together. Yeah. <laughs> in the I... thicket. Sorry. <laughs> thicket. The piney thickets. I swear well, on all the whales in the Gulf Coast. <laughs> <laughs> Gulf of Mexico whales. Okay, I'm fucking googling this. It's <laughs> I. There has are there whales. Oh, I hope yeah. are there whales just in general in Gulf. Let's start there because it's 2021. Not whale sharks, just regular whales. There's one called the Rice's Whale. Named after Dale Rice, thing. who named a whale, Dale's no. whale. No. And they can grow to 42 feet long and they weigh 60,000 pounds. No. So not, that's not a real thing. That's just he lost his tractor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how he explained it to the EPA. It's, no, that's Dale's whale. My friend Christine would say it. She's a vet. She knows where all the whales are. Yeah. Um. Well, <laughs> Karina, do you want to tell your story? Is it about oh. whales? I thought you were going no. to. Sorry. You also. Oh yeah, I could. I feel like I've been to. going first. No, I, I can do it. it. You want to do it? You do it. Yeah, because I want to get high for the rest. Of- <laughs> Go for it. I've had a day, okay. y'all. Do it. Oh, yeah. Um. And also, mine's kind of cute and kind of real. Make your own. Is it a whale of a tail? Mm-hmm. Would you say uh, that? Okay, cool. Good. I would say that about any story. Wow. Any of our stories? Yes, they're all whales. Look at that. Just flopping in the water. Just meaty as fuck. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about what I have. I've named him the Pram Daddy. Um. Like this- a child pram? C. Okay. C. We're going to get into that. So all prams everywhere. 1970, this dude, Jack Hampshire, starts collecting prams, um, which is for anybody who does not know, it's a fucking stroller that doesn't fold up for British people um, <laughs> exclusively. <laughs> So by 1970, prams were out, you know, we've all got cars, we need those foldable strollers so we can just toss it with the baby in the back, crunch that stroller up, let's go to the fucking farmer's market, prams, not even a thing. Um, So Jack started his pram party when he found a Victorian coach style pram in the back of an antique store. He... Bought it for his wife. Mm. <laughs> um, just kidding. He probably did. Uh, it was ready to be thrown out. He repaired the chassis, cleaned it, painted it, and he became addicted to little baby haulers. Uh, so, again, some background on the prams. Uh, they were invented in the early 18th century. Uh, British aristocrats. Uh, they had coaches for themselves, so why not have them for your baby, right? Like that, 
might as well for little Theodore. Uh, they commissioned beautiful, ridiculous miniature carriages, and then they were pulled by servants, dogs, oh. goats, or small ponies. Adorable. Like, I want to see this. Maybe I mean, not pulled by servants, but. <laughs> yeah, that seems boring to me. By like a um, pony? Sure. Yeah. So Victorian era that kind of transformed the bougie weirdness of the pram into more of a necessity. Uh, And then by the turn of the century, so we're going into the 1900s, we've got the industrial revolution is going on. Uh, Prams are cheaper to make because the child labor, right? Uh, Also like, hey, you know, go build this for luckier children. And so these, you know, prams are coming out on assembly lines and post-World War II Britain, we've got more disposable income, suburban housing. And so almost every family can afford a pram. So it went from the bougiest thing in the world to everybody's got one. Oh, oh, in the 70s. In uh, in the 70s, no one really gave a shit about prams. Uh, It didn't matter if it had been in your family for centuries uh, or if it was like the most beautifully adorned thing you've ever seen. No one gave a shit about the social history, whatever. So Jack Hampshire's like, I'm going to fucking, I'm going to save these. I'm (laughs) going to save the prams. I'm sorry. This is really funny to me. Um, except for this part. So the background <laughs> uh, on Jack is that he was in the uh, RAF Royal Air Force in World War II. And when he came back, his son Nick reports that he was like nervous and just a little bit different. So experienced some trauma there. Um, and he, he spent a lot of his time taking things apart, seeing how they worked and then put them putting them back together. So, you know, keeping your mind and your hands busy so you don't have to, you know, mm-hmm. face any trauma. He would do odd jobs. He'd work with stereos and he would like fix friends TVs. Uh, his son, Nick said, uh, and then he found prams, unfortunately. Oh. It was a bit embarrassing as teenagers bringing your friends back with lots of prams everywhere. Probably <laughs> a bit strange for them. Fair comment, which I guess is a British thing. Mm. Fair comment. Dozens of prams hung in rows on the walls of his barn behind his fucking 15th century manor house. Ooh, Ooh, I would love to see that. He had a moat. And then when you cross the moat, it's a bunch of weird baby things. I love it. Terrifying. Uh, so he lived in Bettenham Manor, uh, and he had at least 10 prams just in his bedroom. Um, most of the prams in his room and in the barn were empty, most of them, but some had Uh antique porcelain dolls waving or clapping. Okay. I thought you were going to say dead babies, and I was like, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) With the, like pearl teeth shit mm. um so in a very short amount of time 
because of what it is, Jack Hampshire becomes the world's leading and only authority on coach-built prams. He always claimed to not know why he loved them, but he was definitely obsessed with them. And then his wife dies in 1976. Uh, So this is more trauma for Jack. And the pram collection hits 350 prams. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. You said 1976? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. He's so also... Is this like all the prams in the world? Uh, almost. So okay. he he's also one of those like, I really love antiques. So many antiques. Save all the old things. Mm. So I'm like, mm, uh, what does this manor look like right now? Um. So Jack is a pretty decent photographer. He would take hot pics of these prams and then try to compile a history of that specific pram. So like, where was it used? By whom? Where was it built? Uh, You know, what had it seen? (laughs) He loved their design and how they were built, but he was also very uh, protective of the impact that they had on the lives of families. So like the social interaction of it, he was very frustrated that no one gave a fuck. Um, In 1980, he released a book called Prams, Mail Cars, and Bassinets, A Definitive History of the Child's Carriage. I'd look, is it a picture book? I'd look through it. I mean, there's pictures, but it's... I only look at picture books. So, okay, I guess I'll pass. I mean, I'm sure somebody's got it on Audible. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine. Um, So an excerpt from this, and this is kind of how he thought of prams. Uh, It is most likely that our very first sight of the open sky with clouds, trees, and all the other wonders of the outside world were seen and puzzled over as we lay in our prams. I mean, through the eyes of a baby. Truly poetry. Um, So following his wife's death, Hampshire's eldest son, John, and the other son who was talking shit, uh, Nick, took over half of the house and declared it a pram-free zone. (laughs) Sorry, Dad. Good Uh, man. Yeah, of course. That's just rude. I know. I know. It's also weird to me that, like, mom dies and then the kids immediately get half of the house. I, well, maybe that's a British thing. I don't know. Maybe when your dad's a pram collector, the laws are a little different. I mean, I'm looking at these antique prams, and I get why he's obsessed with them. They're fucking cool. Okay. Sorry. You're not wrong. Um, <clears throat> the rest of the house turns into the Bettenham Manor Baby Carriage Museum, which is open oh. to the public by appointment only. Each year, hundreds of people would make that appointment. And uh, Nick remembers coach loads of people (laughs) descending on the house to view the prams and talk to Jack. Uh, The collection includes examples of four main types of prams from the 1750s to 1965. One, the Victoria pram. Two, the carriage pram. Three, 
the bassinet, and four, the mail cart. All of the famous makers, uh, Milsons, Osnath, London Baby Coach, and Royale, <laughs> you know them, and he even managed to acquire the pram that Prince Charles was mm. pushed around in and Paul McCartney. Wow. Wow, that's that's a I'm impressed. I'm yeah. impressed. So in 1994, Hampshire suffers a stroke that takes his voice. He's 80. He's got 460 prams. Um, and they've all already been <clears throat> placed in a charitable trust. So Jack's wishes are that all of the prams stay together. Um, oh, I know. I know. Um, so that they could tell the story as a whole. The pram intersected with everything from class divisions to women's rights to international trade. And the only way that you could really see that story is if they're all together. Um, but it was next to impossible to find anyone to take 460 prams. Mm -hmm. uh, even museums dedicated to childhood uh, wouldn't want them. That does mean two things in a minute. So Jack passed because that freaked me out. Museums dedicated to childhood and I had to learn a little bit more. So Jack passes in 1996 and his children sold uh, Bettenham Manor and control of the trust and the collection went to a couple from Norfolk, uh, Angela and George Lynn who collected mm -hmm. vintage children's clothes, toys and equipment. Okay. Okay. I don't collect things. So I don't know that I can judge people, but I don't I don't like it. Um <laughs> None of Jack's kids kept any prams, um which they do regret now. They didn't keep a single one? Nope. That's shitty. Like this was your dad's passion. You're not even going to take like yeah. the fucking Paul McCartney pram. Right. For real? Exactly. I yeah. hate those the kids. Pram that is, you know, grandmother's spirit got embedded into by that yeah, one spelling right? test. Yeah. There's yeah. I yeah. And they owned a manor with and a they sold moat. It. Fucking rich people, man. Yeah. There must have been a lot of upkeep. Spending uh. their summers on Lake Michigan. Okay. So in 1999, <laughs> Heritage Pram Maker Silver Cross, I, I think that they're the only ones that are still like making them. Um they take the collection, but then they pass it on after a few years. And then from 460 prams, 68 of them make it to the baby farm. Ooh. It's a baby goods retailer in Warwickshire, but Jesus Christ, that name. Does it have um, a cabbage patch? I know, yeah, right? I hope it does. Um, so the baby farm museum was housed in a barn, uh, a lot like Hampshire's original museum. And it only operated <clears throat> on appointment. It was appointment only, uh, whatever. 
2013, the baby farm moves its business online. We're getting with the times now. Um, And the pram collection has to move again. Jack's neighbor, Janet Ronsley, she was his friend and she like, you know, in that friendship becomes an amateur pram historian and she kind of helps manage the dismantling of the collection. Uh, She sold some of these at auction to private collectors. She donated some to museums that would take them. One of them namely is Victoria and Albert museum of childhood. I don't know why they're all called Museum of Childhood instead of Children's Museums. Well, because Children's Museum is like fun and for kids. This is for old people going to look at old kids stuff. That's what I thought. And nope, they are Children's Museums. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah. Uh, Let's. Oh. But within that within the Children's Museum or Museum of Childhood, the um, V&A, Victor, Victoria and Albert, Museum of Childhood also cares for the nation's national collection of childhood. That is the old stuff. Um, mm. It's got almost 33,000 objects and uh, 61 archival collections that span 400 years. So they've got a lot of old weird shit too, but they're also like, look, if you play with this slime, it's the best thing you've ever done because you're a kid. <laughs> um, but they do think that <laughs> they do. They are. Is that still like the the number one thing? Oh my god, I have slime everywhere in my house. It sucks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. <laughs> And then they all want to like make their own and you gotta yeah, get the just, right it, And then they're done with it, but they want to make it again. It's mm. it's so weird. I'm a, it's like a slime factory and I just find these little snotty balls all over the house. Oh God. Snotty balls. Snotty. So... The Prams live in small online groups of collectors and restorers. Uh, Their Jack Hampshire Prams go for hundreds on eBay. They're identified because he would paint a number on each one underneath, like underneath the kind of basket area. Because yeah, I guess to like chronicle them or whatever. Um, and so you can tell if it's a real Jack Hampshire or not. Um, and so Jack is a legend in the, quote, Prammy community. Um, uh, did he win a Prammy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then Christine Horn says, I would think we would have been lost without his interest. And she is a Pram collector and the organizer of the annual Pramtasia convention <gasps> and parade. Yes. Uh, I thought you were going to say teddy bear picnic. <laughs> I mean, not far off. Um, and the, the the parade definitely does include uh, antique porcelain dolls because it's also part of doll mania. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, 
So I just wanted to give it up for uh, Jack Hampshire, the Pram father. And I wanted to say Pram 8 million times tonight. So thank you. You did it. I'm proud of you. Well, mine has to do with toddler aged children. So maybe that goes with yours a little bit. Perfect. If you want to hear it. It's uh, all right. Let's do this. It also has to do with a body of water in which whales do exist. Um, what the Mississippi? Yeah, the Mississippi. Actually, the Mississippi is in this, but anyways. Okay, so I'm going back to the 1950s. You know, studio era movie making. Lots of fun people are doing a bunch of shit, right? Whatever. So we start out with a guy named Russell Tonge and he uh, he was a swimming enthusiast. He really wanted to be like a professional swimmer, but he just wasn't good enough. The war breaks out. He goes to war. He comes back. He meets a lady and they get married and they have two kids. Wait, so, which war is this? Two. Okay. Post-World War Two. So they have Russell Tongay's children are Bubba and Kathy. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Bubba, Kathy, you tiny kids at this moment that we're kind of starting at, Bubba is four and Kathy is two. And He's like, I don't give a fuck if you can walk. I want to see you swim and fulfill the dreams that I never was able to fulfill myself. Wow. And, okay. well, they're little tiny children. So they're like, whatever, dad. Um, Just love us. Yeah. Please. Oh, they sound exactly like that. <laughs> whatever, dad. Just don't abandon our family. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Russell Tongay, like even when Bubba and Kathy are both born, he starts off by just like spraying them with water, like daily. <laughs> other aside from like baths and stuff, it's like good morning <laughs> to get them accustomed to being in water and shit like that. And these They're bad cats, yeah, basically. But it's like, oh, water doesn't bother these babies. And even before, like I said, either one of them could walk, they're swimming. At 17, at 10 months old, little baby Kathy is able to swim 20 feet underwater and back up. And the older brother could do the same thing. Um, he, He was obsessed with making these kids into like little swimmers. So he thinks that's the name of the swimming diaper. Well, like that's the brand, oh, is it? So he did have a fun name for them, but it comes in in a second. So his first major like stunt with his two children is he's like, guess what? We're going to the Mississippi River. I heard there weren't any whales in there, so this will be totally safe. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're not going to get Pinocchio. You're going to be fine. Uh, He 
gets in a boat. There's like people watching. He's kind of played this shit up, right? He has five-year-old Bubba, two-year-old Kathy, and he's like, all right, y'all are going to swim. And you're like, and he's like, Bubba, from here, you're going to swim all the way to St. Louis. And this is 22 miles for a five-year-old to swim, along with Kathy, who is two years old. And he he is in a boat, and he's like, great, tosses these two children into the Mississippi River. And they start swimming. And Kathy starts to get tired by mile five. And he's like, all right. So he pulls Kathy out of the water and into the boat at mile five. But little Bubba is able to make it all 22 miles to the shore of St. Louis. And people in America are like, this is my jam. I cannot believe we just watched a five-year-old swim 22 miles. Also, what else do you have going on? That must have fucking taken forever, but they were into it. So. Mm. Well, yeah. With all this. It's not every day you get to watch child abuse at that level. Exactly. So exciting. I know, right? It's not just a normal beating. It's like they're doing something. (laughs) So uh, instead of crying. uh, So this stunt that he does gets a bunch of publicity and he's like you know what is even cooler than just swimming in the mississippi river without any whales it's if we go over to europe and i want y'all to be the first children to ever try to swim the english channel and classic the, the daily news over in like london or whatever is like yeah Come on over. We'll pay you $20,000 if these fucking kids can get all the way across the English channel. And he's like, bitch, we're coming. So they fly there. (laughs) What's the mom doing? The mom is just like, yeah, honey, I'm with you. She's not a homemaker. She's not like the coach in the way that Russell is, but she doesn't like she supports this all happening and she's with them. I think her name is Dorothy, Debbie or Dorothy. Anyways, so they get over to England and there's been all this hype because the newspaper is going to pay them. And so they've been talking about it. And the people in England and in France are like, we know y'all are Americans and you're like real fucking full of yourselves. But we see this as what Karina said. It feels a lot like child abuse. We don't want to see a five-year-old swim the English Channel. This sounds horrible. And the French are like, we also hate this. No, no, no. And so they're like, bitch, you're not getting in this. You can't even look at the English Channel. Get the hell out of our countries. We don't want you here. And they hang around for a little bit, but they realize that this is never going to happen they will get arrested if they put their kids in the English Channel and try to make them swim across it. By the way, the English Channel is about 21-ish miles, so mm-hmm. pretty far. But of Bubba's, ocean. Of ocean. Whales. 
Not Bubba's a river. Yeah, whales. Whales. It's full of whales. Full of whales. whales. <laughs> Just waiting to eat a five-year-old. So. Oh, God. Chock full of whales. Chock full of whales. Look so, at that bite-sized seal. Yum. Delicious. <laughs> it doesn't even look like it could swim away very quickly. So they're like, okay, her name was Betty. Sorry. Betty and Russell are like, all right, well, I guess we'll just take our kids back to America where they appreciate us. And they <laughs> come back and everyone in America is like, we're still into this. It's public publicity all over the place. They have this like notoriety now. And, you know, in America, everyone's kind of like proud of them. Like these are America's swimming children. Um. So they. Sorry, when you put it like that, it's really funny. Yeah, <laughs> these it, are America's swimming children. You know, Yay. right? A lot of pride after the war. Like, fuck yeah! So they start doing like dives and stuff on top of like Bubba could like hold his breath for four minutes. Like they're leaping off of 30 foot tall platforms with like their hands bound and then they have to like swim back up or swim laps and all this stuff. So, you know, it's like a water variety show almost. They moved to Miami. (laughs) Perfect place to be for watery Mm -hmm. people. Um, And high end (laughs) hotels there are like, you know what? We're going to let you, use our pools to train Mm -hmm. in because we want the publicity and people are coming to watch them train because it's wild. And very smart marketing move. Very smart. Come see the, the fantastic swimming children of America, America, our pride and joy. And people are watching. There are a few people who are like, you know, those kids, they look, they look kind of fucking skinny, Russell. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's on purpose. And they're like, really? Like, they look like fucking emaciated. And he's like, no, it's on purpose. I keep them on a strict diet of baby food only. So. Oh, oh, well, that makes them float better. That is the only thing either of those children were ever fed. Man, no. I wasn't on board at first, but I think this might be child abuse. You I think. think- <laughs> You this is not going to end well. It might be. Uh, nevertheless, things are still going well. The kids get cast in as like a cameo in this movie called Skirts Ahoy, which was one of those. It, yeah, it was one of those swimming movies in Hollywood. Uh, Esther Williams, who was like this super famous, beautiful swimmer. And, you know, back then they would make those movies where it's just pretty things happening. And if you did Uh see Hail Caesar, Scarlett Mm -hmm. Johansson's character is based on Esther Williams. Oh, So they're in this movie, Skirts Ahoy with Esther Williams, and they do a bunch of like underwater tricks and stuff. And it's real pretty. And they're two tiny little blonde headed children, super skinny stars are rising to the top of the deep, deep fucking waters they've been growing up in. So by 1953, Kathy's now five, which makes 
Bubba about like seven, eight ish. And they're training. Uh, Russell is having Kathy jump off a 33 foot springboard at the McFadden Deauville Hotel in Miami Beach. And she's supposed to be doing a back layout dive with one and a half twists, which is wild looking. You know, it looks like some shit you see at the Olympics. And she. Everyone's familiar. You know, a classic like back layout dive with one and a half twists. No big deal. I love that. Yeah. So little five-year-old Kathy jumps from this 33-foot springboard, which Mind you, that's about four stories high, if you're thinking in that way. And she fucks it up because, you know, she's a five-year-old and ends up belly flopping, like, obviously very, very hard. And there are people watching and they're like, holy shit. And she's she seems kind. I mean, she's able to, like, swim and get out of the pool and she's like, Dad, like, I, All of my, my ribs are- hurts. Like, th- I don't feel okay. And Russell, but like in a five-year-old's voice, whatever. Russell yeah. is like, I don't care if you feel okay. We're just going to, all these people saw you fuck up. So we're going to go to another pool that we train at. And we're going to finish out this day of training. And Kathy's crying and she's clearly injured. Um. But none, they go anyways. They go to this other pool. There's a lifeguard on duty there. And the lifeguard notices that Kathy is re- acting like she's very hurt. She looks very bruised, like possibly not necessarily just from falling. Uh, oh. And she keeps complaining and she asks her dad. She's like, please, I don't want to swim anymore. And oh. he's like, shut up feeds her some baby food and then she throws up the baby food everywhere and he's like fine we'll go home and then by that evening she goes into convulsions and she dies and people are like holy shit and so they obviously do an autopsy on Kathy and they find well that her entire body was pretty badly bruised and they thought it might've indicated a beating before this happened. But, and then Betty Tongay, the mom admits like, yeah, like I swatted her earlier in the day because she wasn't minding me, but it wasn't like I beat her or anything. And Russell Tongay, the dad is like, it's because she fell like she this, this bruising is because she f- basically felt four stories onto almost <laughs> completely solid water. Mm. Um, but they find that she had died of a ruptured intestine. And so she was like internally hemorrhaging and bleeding. And that's what killed her. And the cops are like, this is fucked up. We decided now that maybe we're not super into the child abuse, even though it looked cool at first. Uh, and they charge. This is so sad. I'm sorry. They charge, really they charge Russell with second degree murder. 
And then more stuff comes to light. So before Bubba and Kathy were born, Russell and Betty had had another child named Rusty who had died of a suspicious head injury at 18 months old. And the rumor around town was that Rusty had tried to come up from under the water during one of their like training swimming sessions and Russell, the dad like hit him hard on top of the head for trying to come out of the water causing like uh, a brain emerging eh, or emerging causing brain damage and killing this kid, their own son. And Betty, what she had told the police when that happened, she said that Rusty had fallen down. The police are like, we believe you. They don't charge with them with anything or look any more into it. Mm. Um, so when Rusty, Rustle, Russell does go to court for being charged with the death of his daughter, Kathy, it takes the jury less than an hour to convict him of manslaughter for forcing them to do all these dives. And he's sentenced to 10 years in prison. He's also stripped of parental rights of Bubba and Betty divorces him. Even though I feel like Betty was kind of complicit. Yeah. Um, while he's in custody, he ends up escaping by leaping off of a moving train when he was en route to the hospital. Um, He ends up making it all the way to Los Angeles and claims that he had amnesia, but they get him back. He goes back to prison. He spends some time in a, in the like mental health facility there. And then he gets released in April, 1961 after six years of confinement marries a woman in San Francisco and the lady gets an annulment a couple months later because he stole her entire life savings and just left her. He moved back to Florida and lived out the rest of his life by himself pretty much. Um, Betty, the mom died in 1992 after 40 years of being a teacher and uh, the surviving I don't even know if I mentioned this their stage names like their group name was the Aqua Tots so uh, there are a lot of like swim lesson places around the country called Aqua Tots because it sounds cute but uh, kind of a shitty background but I wish you had told us the Aquatots thing before anybody died. I'm sorry. Back when it was fun. Well, is, yeah. is it fun now? The surviving Aquatot, Bubba, ended up becoming a member of Miami's Beach Patrol and did that most of his life until he retired. Did he start eating something eat besides food? baby food? <laughs> I, I don't know. I would hope he did, but... Yeah. My favorite and also maybe one of the worst things is that Karina and I both immediately just wanted to know if that guy ate food. 
The only that baby food is a bad idea. Surviving on a health, still on the healthy uh, baby food diet. Oh my god! But, I mean, it's just a smoothie now, <laughs> kind of. But like, it's yeah, not. Now they're all good, but it's not cold or like it's just mush, you know. And who knows yeah. what they were made of back then? But yeah, so that's the s- sad story of the Aqua Tots. I'm sorry it was fun for like half of it, though, for y'all. So I hope that yeah. made up for it. Well, speaking of men <laughs> making dumb decisions, okay, that endanger other people. Okay, mm-hmm, let's mm-hmm. talk about the CIA. Hey, Yay! Ooh, I love it. So anyway, um, let's let's travel back to 1964. Uh, it's just after the Cuban Missile Crisis, and there are four countries in the world that have a nuclear bomb: us, uh, the United Kingdom, uh, France, and I think India. Anyway, suddenly, boom! There's a fifth: China drops a bomb in a test in 1964 and surprises the entire world who had no idea that they were working on them. They were also the first uh, country to do it without help from the other countries. So it was like, mm-hmm. oh shit, someone else has figured this out all by themselves. Also, uh, for those playing along at home, China was communist. So that Wasn't it people. like even more... Uh, like nobody could see what not an, it's not an iron curtain but an iron curtain well yeah that's exactly what the cia freaked out they had no spies they yeah. did not know this was going to happen they had no intelligence they had no way of you know satellites hadn't been launched yet um no way of seeing into this notoriously closed communist nation so that same year well actually early 1965 a man named Barry Bishop, he he had just taken part in the first American team's summit of Mount Everest. So that happened that year. And he's at a cocktail party in Washington, D.C., because that's what you get to do when you climb Mount Everest for the first time. And General Curtis LeMay of the CIA is also at that party. And he's listening to Barry Bishop talk about the ascent. And Bishop says, when I got to the top, you had unobstructed views. I could see all the way to China. Yeah. And LeMay went, ding. I know how to spy on their nuclear program. So he ran back to the CIA and said, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. He was clearly drunk. <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to assemble a crack team of mountain climbers. And we're going to send them up the tallest mountain we can find on the Chinese border. And we're going to deposit a microwave oven-sized listening device. And everybody was like, this sounds awesome. Let's do it. So you got to rem- remember, this is NASA was just born. This is four years before the moon landing. So you can kind of picture the technology we're talking about here. It's a listening device that's the size of a microwave. It's heavy. It's metal. It's got fins all over it for no reason. Like, and it's got antennas and a little dish and blinking lights. In case it goes to like the burger shop, you know, man. So it looks cool. (laughs) And uh, and it's got a giant antenna on it, a six foot tall antenna, an antenna as tall as a man. This is really this is really cute to me, right? (laughs) 
It's still cute. Okay, good. Uh, so how's it going to run? On double A's, right? Or is there just going to be a guy who sits up there with the battery and shoves D batteries into it? No, for the battery to keep it operating for years at extreme altitude and extreme temperatures, it ran on a model 19C SNAP, which is a fancy way of saying a plutonium nuclear bomb. Oh, <laughs> what? Wow. Yeah. So to give an idea of what kind of bomb, uh, in 1987, a scrap merchant in Guyana, Brazil, stole a cigarette lighter sized amount of cesium-137. That's 1,400 curies worth of radioactivity. Uh, He stole it from like a medical device. Uh, Just carrying that blue powder around contaminated 200 people, four of whom died, including a four-year-old girl who had to be buried in a lead coffin. Pavement and buildings had to be decontaminated. Soil had to be carted away. And Guyana, which used to be a huge tourist destination, uh, dropped its economy by 20%. Its overall economy dropped by 20% because so many people moved out and tourism dropped to zero. This man was walking around with a cigarette lighter sized thing of this powder. This microwave oven they sent to the top of the mountain contained 20 times more radiation. than. Oh my God. So... LeMay, of course, goes back to Bishop and he's like, I had the greatest idea. I was listening to you at the party last night. And I thought maybe you and some friends could drag this nuclear bomb to the top of a mountain so we could like spy on the Chinese. And Bishop's like, oh, can't, bro. All my toes fell off when I did the Everest thing. And they're like, oh, shit. (laughs) So here's who they assemble. They assemble a guy named Tom Frost, who was known for climbing El Capitan in Yosemite. Also, perfect name, Frost. Let's do it. Yes. This is like dumb Armageddon. (laughs) (laughs) Loot Jurston, a guy who had ascended Mount Everest multiple times and had just emigrated to the United States. What? Loot Jurston. Jim Jim McCarthy, who was the only mountain climber to ever make the cover of Sports Illustrated. And a guy nobody had ever heard of named Bob, which is the most 60s thing ever. Just like three famous people and Hey, I'll let Bob go. I believe in Bob. Yeah, I know. Bob's great. All right. So, uh, oh, by the way, this was called Operation Hat. <laughs> like they're putting a little radiated hat on top of a mountain. Get it? I love it. So anyway, Everest, which was their first idea when they sobered up, they realized it was too far from the border and also too many people climbed it. Uh, so what they did is Those they looked at the a map problems with the plan. <laughs> <laughs> they looked at a map really carefully by getting a globe out and using their finger and running it along the Chinese border until they hit a tall mountain. And they found one called Nanda Devi in India. And That's this is so weird. <laughs> India owed us big time. They're our friends. They don't oh, like no. China being on their border. They hate the nuclear bomb oh. being over there. Oh, we helped India get a nuclear bomb. India's like, please put another nuclear bomb on one of our mountains to make sure China doesn't build more nuclear bombs. Okay. So it's a mountain that's sacred to Hindus. It's believed to be the home of Devi, the most important goddess in the religion, thus Nanda Devi. Um, But not only had the mountain hardly ever been climbed up until the 1930s, human beings have not even set foot at its base in the valley there. So this is super remote stuff. Tenzig Norgay, the famous Sherpa who led the initial Mount Everest ascent, said that this was the hardest mountain he had ever climbed, Nanda Devi. Damn. What happened on this mission to send three guys and a bob 
to the top of the mountain <laughs> with a microwave bomb. Well, what if it, it was a microwave bomb? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it hasn't been declassified. So we don't know for sure. There was detailed notes kept, uh, but uh, it's still top, top, top secret. And only one of those four members is talking about what happened at all. And that's Sports Illustrated guy, Mr. McCarthy. And according to him, what happened was a storm pinned them down about 1,800 feet from the summit. So pretty close. Uh, They were unsure what to do because they were veteran climbers and not like veteran spies and shit. So what they decided to do for safety is instead of lugging this heavy nuclear device with a six foot tall antenna, let's not forget. I don't even know how they were carrying this in their hands while they're climbing a mountain. Uh, They decided we'll bury it here and we'll come back later for it. So they bury it. They go down the mountain to safety and you can see where this is going. Uh, They went back to find it. It's gone. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. And they can't find it. Uh, quote from McCarthy, when I realized that they're dumping the fucking generator and going down the mountain, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Have them bring it down. Are you crazy? I'm yelling at the top of my lungs. He says to me, you're creating an international incident, but I had a vision of absolute clarity. We are going to lose a snap generator powered by plutonium in the headwaters of the Ganges. And he's absolutely right. The Nanda Devi mountain system is where the Ganges River is originated. Holy shit. The most populated river valley in the whole fucking world. Oh my so, God. <laughs> this got back into the news lately because a huge chunk of the Nanda Devi glacier broke off and formed uh, a lake that eventually overflowed into the neighboring valleys. And the floods from it were so violent and fast that it killed 50 people in an area that's as we stated, almost uninhabited, like basically everybody. Uh, And that flowed into the Ganges and the Ganges swelled. And some locals are saying that I don't think that was climate change. They think there's still a plutonium generator up there that's creating heat and melting the glacier loose. Mm. There's no evidence of that, which is good news. But the bad news is that the lack of evidence is because nobody still has any fucking clue where it is. (gasps) It's just buried up there. Some guy from Rock and Ice magazine uh, did an expedition, and that's where I got a lot of this information, uh, to go try to find it and retrace the steps of, that McCarthy had kept notes uh, about. Um, but not only could he not find it, um, but there was an avalanche when he went to go, and one of his climbing uh, team members died in the avalanche. Oh, fuck. So, yeah, yeah, it's unretrievable. Uh, the best guess is that it probably melted its way to the bottom of a glacier and the glacier is slowly pulverizing it against the rock and its nuclear contents are leaking into the water supply very slowly. <gasps> so, Wait, what? Yeah. So I, th- That's the best guess. It's either that or, you know, the Chinese found it and they have a bomb, right? Or somebody found it and they have a bomb. I feel better about somebody finding it than it just slowly leaking (laughs) into like our ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And now you know why the CIA has not declassified the information about this really dumb mission. Anyway, did this colossal fuck up make the CIA realize it was a terrible idea? No, they, uh, they took another one up to the top of Nanda Kot, which is the peak next door. And (laughs) 
they successfully planted it at the summit where it was quickly buried under snow and stopped working within months, producing mm-hmm. zero useful intelligence in the meantime. And thus ends the CIA's attempt to stand on a mountain and look at China to see what it was doing by using a nuke. <laughs> That's so wonderful. Just that that last little summary of what that story was is just yeah. mm-hmm. perfect. Real special, real special thinkers in the 1960s. And today. Oh, yeah, sure. I'm sure they're still throwing nukes around just in smaller in cigarette lighters. Mm-hmm. Right. It's only going to, you know, kill one country. It's only going to kill one large city in Brazil. Yeah, like not a whole big deal. Ugh. Also, I, like, well, what happened to those guys? Why didn't they get in trouble? Oh, yeah, I know that. Hold on. Like, I feel like, I I mean, I'm sure they something happened, I would hope. McCarthy, obviously, like, is willing to talk because he thought this was all stupid from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see if I can find the whole, like, where are they now thing. There's a lot about his friend dying in an avalanche, which uh, is understandable. Um, they're basically not talking. Like, they still feel pretty damn scared by the CIA, like, keeping it classified. And so I think one of them's dead. Ah, uh, there we go. Uh, hold on, sorry. Mm-mm. Okay. One of the guys is not talking and another guy is dead and he he got uh he didn't tell anybody what he was doing the whole time. Uh all of his stuff when he died was confiscated by the CIA. Uh he has no uh he's the guy who climbed Nanda Cot, which was he's the first person to do it. Huge 23,000 foot mountain. Uh but nobody's allowed to know about it. Uh and his wife never got told why he would disappear for months on end over a four-year period. So she assumed the worst. Oh my uh, he God. Intelligence medal, but uh, it, he got it around his neck. And then as soon as the ceremony was over, they locked it in a vault at CIA headquarters. He got a divorce. His children hate him. And uh, <laughs> at the end of his life, he found himself disappointed by a government I don't trust anymore. Oh, oh. it took that long. Yeah. 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 Anyway. It didn't, yeah. Well, oh, that was Schaller. That was Bob. That was Bob's story. That's how Bob ended up. Oh, Bob. Sorry, Bob. Sorry, Bob. And nobody even uh, knows your fucking last name, really. Like, you're not the cool one. Still yep. had and your Lute, life ruined. Lute Jerstad had a heart attack in 1998 while wandering around Nepal. Lute. And, uh, good old Tom Frost ain't talking. He's staying frosty. Hmm. They probably he's yeah I they like sold that to somebody maybe yeah. right maybe. I just don't know how you like lose that well they didn't technically lose it they buried it thinking that they'd be able to find it again True. <laughs> like they deliberately ditched it that's the part right. That is- really terrifying is that they somehow thought that was a good idea 
Mm-hmm. Like these experienced mountain climbers are like, well, we'll just put a rock there as if like they're in a snowstorm with avalanches and shit. And anyway, uh, that's people yeah, still didn't understand radiation danger though in the early 1960s. They still yeah. didn't get like. I mean, radiation just in general still just fully blows my mind that something can just destroy your DNA. Something that you can't even fucking see can just fucking destroy you. Or like that poor little girl that the dude with the cigarette lighter is worth of it. She just fucking died because she was near somebody. Yeah. Wild. (sighs) Well... A lot of poor little guys, poor little girls died of being near somebody in this. Yeah, right? We had a, more child death than usual. So. Oh, sorry about my, my goofball at the beginning. Well, yours, oh, I no. mean, if you want to think about it this way, every Some baby kids died that, in those prams. Oh, yeah. You know? And oh, yeah. every baby that probably rode in those prams has been dead for a long time oh. now. For sure. Not <gasps> Prince so. Charles or Paul McCartney. Well, pa- Paul McCartney's debatable. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah. I looked it up. The company that's still making prams. Uh, take a guess at how much a brand new pram will cost you. Ooh, I bet they're expensive. I'm going to say $1,200. i am going to say $700. $4,000. Fuck! Yeah. I still win though, Price is Right rules. So whatever. you can get a pram for $500 for a doll that you give to your child. Mm. But a baby size one is $2,500 to $4,000, depending on what kind of suspension you want. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Hydraulic, of course. Yes, naturally. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. That would be. Let's all go riding a pram. That's insane. (laughs) Imagine getting your kid one for its doll. Here's a $500 go. No. Yeah. Ain't no way. This handmade Oberon dolls pram is a beautiful gift for any little girl. Does your little girl have every single American girl doll? Then she's going to fucking love this. Yes. That's some rich bitch shit too. Yeah, the expensive one says the Silver Cross Balmoral is the definitive luxury pram, still crafted by hand in Yorkshire using mm. traditional methods. Its unique <gasps> design is British engineering at its best. Oh my God, really? Is that a thing? British at engineering? At its best? Yeah. Hmm. That's I like the, to think all of that is up for debate. Yeah, I like right? to think our best is a little bit better than a stroller. But I mean, I don't know, man. I didn't engineer any prams. I just like to swim with the whales in the Gulf of Mexico because they yes. exist. They exist. Yes, they sure do, Whitney. They fucking do. I googled it. Mm-mm. Yes, huh? Yes, huh? After this, I I am only sending y'all whale-related Gulf of Mexico things. I'm going to blow you up on our group chat. So I hope you're fucking ready for it. Delightful. I am, actually. (laughs) It's like two days later, and I'm like, fuck, man. Oh, man. 
Dale's whale is just not plausible. To the me. Dale whale. <laughs> well, we'll name it after Dale. He found the whale. <laughs> I think that's that's a great place to stop. There you go. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> like us and rate us and tell all your whale friends about us. Yeah. Also, if you happen to be going to the Gulf of Mexico anytime soon and you want to take a deep sea fishing boat on, you happen to see a Dale whale, just send me a picture. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, man, we're going to get bombarded <laughs> with Dale whale pics. Dale whale. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you might call him Moby Dicks. What? what? Uh, Mic drop. <laughs>